and we are back. It is the Lyrical Ones Podcast, episode 21. We are getting it right. We are figuring it out. As you can see and will soon hear, I am your gracious, grateful, thankful, and humble host, Cineo. For those that know, those that don't know. And joining us this evening is our producer of the Lyrical Ones podcast, as well as the program director of the Lyrical Assembly, all under the Lyrical Opposition umbrella. We got Lacey in the house. Lacey, how are you doing? Representing, representing. I'm doing good. And Thanks for asking. Repping hard. And as per usual, we have Alfluent in the building. Alfluent, what's going on? What side? You're right. The best side. So, you know, um, just kind of jumping into it, right? Let's kind of start things off with where the state of the world is right now, specifically in Nigeria, specifically with SARS. So based off of my um, limited and irresponsible sources of information, Google, um, for those that don't know, right, right now what's going on in Nigeria is there is a bunch of police brutality going on. And when you hear SARS, of course, people think of, you know, oh, that they must be dealing with sick, the sickness of SARS. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. What's going on is SARS, right, actually stands for Special Anti-Robbery Squad. So, you know, back in 1992, per the source of Wikipedia, whether or not that's actually factual, right, check it. Check me by all means. If I'm wrong, let me know. But, you know, there was rampant robberies going on in the country of Nigeria. And so they came up with a task force in law enforcement to kind of deal with that. Now, as we've seen in our own country, the United States of America, we have seen how systems oftentimes uh, left unchecked, especially with a level of power and a level of responsibility, they kind of go out of control. And that's what it seems like it's happened in Nigeria, where, you know, this specific task force has now, you know, it's garnered its form of corruption. It's now, you know, attacking the, the civilians, the protesters. Um, you know, this this is something that has been going on for years and it's reached a boiling point because people are over it. Right. Um, people are taken to the streets to like disband the special anti-robbery squad, AKA SARS, right? So when people, you know, think of SARS, right? It's two different types. But when we're talking about this one, we're talking about a specific task force that was created to address the issue, but now it's creating issues, right? It's creating harm. So, you know, going around, around the table or the absence of a table. Lacey, what have you heard when it comes to, you know, this particular situation that's going on? Yeah, um, I think I've just seen a lot of like heartbreaking stories from people losing their lives in Nigeria, simply protesting for their right to, you know, have the right to live, have the right to be free from violence from people who are sworn to protect them. And I heard recently of a massacre of protesters where, um, you know, state armed forces intentionally came into the space and sh shot a lot of people 
who were peacefully protesting, you know, um, intentionally blocked them, barricaded them. I read somewhere, and I'm not sure if this is accurate since I got it off of an Instagram stack, but I read somewhere they even took out the cameras in that area before those troops were sent in. Um, and it and everything I read about it, it seemed very intentional that the the presidents and people in charge wanted that to happen because they they issued a, a curfew with with very limited notice. Then they took out the cameras. Then they brought in forces, barricaded the people in, and then shot the people. Um, yeah, so that's just what I've been hearing, and it, it seems very clear that. This was not something that was just unintentional. It seemed very intentional on behalf of, of the people in charge in Nigeria and the Nigerian government. Yeah, no, I mean, I was doing my little, my little bit of uh, getting more in depth. You know, it, it's all over social media. Um, everybody is is now participating in some form of protest or awareness when it comes to this situation. And you know, I'm reading the Guardian. I'm looking around, and you know, it's it's unfortunate but it mirrors what we're experiencing here where you know you have to uh, acknowledge the fact that this system right like is this system of law enforcement even the idea of what law enforcement is in the modern society is that something that we inherited that wasn't really made for people of color or made for people in general right was it made for people or was it made to control people because in this regard you're taking law enforcement you're giving people these extra level of like kind of responsibility right of like now we want you to be appointed to talk to to kind of mitigating all of the violence that's going on in the country but right who's the people in charge to lead this to direct this to guide this to make sure that this is going to be contained in a way that's safe or sustainable because now right this started in 1992 we're in the year 2020 we're almost a full um 30 years right like Three more years would be 30 years that this has gone this has gone on. And now we're looking at kind of the outcome of people who are being attacked, people who are being shot, right? People who are being brutalized. And you know, it's again under the idea of protecting and serving. But are you really who are you protecting? Yourself? Like, are you serving yourself? Because it sounds like from what the reports are saying that the people they were they were, you know, this organization this task force was created to protect people they're now doing the things that they were supposed to protect people from right we're talking about extortion we're talking about you know kind of just just going crazy in the sense of like not only just brutalizing people killing people right like you're now the the judge jury and the executioner where 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 is the sense of justice right and that's what people are looking for right now people are looking for justice people are looking for not that not just for them to be disbanded because they, uh, from what i'm seeing as of sunday right uh the the office of the president i think it's muhammadu buhari you have to excuse me but they said that the special anti-robbery squad has been dissolved with immediate effect but people want the the actual individuals who are involved in these crimes to be persecuted, to be charged, to be tried. So it's not enough to just dissolve it, right? It's also holding the people accountable who have committed these atrocities. So, you know, with that affluent, what is some of the things that you've kind of seen and heard in the sphere of your world that has kind of 
you know, caught your attention when it comes to this? Um, so, like, the protesting has been going on um, in Nigeria and then globally for the last two weeks. And then the president announced uh, about a week ago that, um, a little over a week ago, that they would disband, that he, he was committed to um, stopping police brutality. And then the police force, you know, announced that they would disband the special anti-robbery um, force unit. Um, and yeah, they were they were created under the guise to grant this uh, uh, this task force some authority separate from the regular police. Um, but the corruption that exists um, in just like the halls of power of Nigeria and its elite, um, and that corruption starts um, before you even get to the police. Um, and so the trickle-down effect is that the corruption exists in offices and in the ruling offices of the country as well as in the police force, as well as um, in the, the special anti-robbery, uh, the SARS unit, and then into your everyday um, traffic stop police officers. And so like disbanding the unit um, adds, adds fuel to um, a fire that's already um, burning against uh, between um, the public who are, who are protesting and and the police who are yet yeah, accused of robbery, e extortion, and beating um, beating people, ganging up on people, and intimidation, and like people expect that um, if they if they look flashy flashy and draw attention that they'll probably be, be handing over money when they're stopped um by officers and you have nigerian celebrities you know who are in the uk and uh protesting is a protest in london we have uh whiz kid and devito um two afrobeats artists um Reminding and encouraging the youth to um, to speak out and that they have a voice and um, to en encourage them to continue to speak and um, let the world hear them because the world is listening right now and and it's interesting because there's the violence has been going on the corruption has been going on and the more we speak the more pressure and attention is brought to the situation around the globe um, and people need to people need to know what's happening and we continue to need to continue to apply apply pressure for these uh, elected officials to be held accountable to hold themselves accountable to hold the the people that fund their campaigns and their agendas um, to become accountable um, to look after and protect people um, and have the public's well-being in mind 
um, because, you know, Nigeria is, you know, arguably the most, I guess it's probably the most populous, you know, country in Africa. And so it's a dense population. And, you know, the closer people live together, a lot of times the the less they are seen, it seems like. Um, so when you have dense populations, it often means that that density, you know, brings some some inequity, um, some gap in uh, financial classes, socioeconomic classes, and you know, if if there's someone to look down on, people will, and and if they're allowed to, there they'll you know try to push them down and you know take advantage of their position as much as they can. Um, and so, yeah, it echoes what's happening in America. It echoes what's happening um, in countries like Australia and Hong Kong. It echoes, you know, things that are happening in the Middle East. Um, and there's so much pain going on in the world. And in America, it's election season. And we have an opportunity to start to right the ship. And, you know, it's every two years, it's every primary, it's every four years where there's an opportunity to right the ship and let folks who have spent their lives in politics and they're, you know, been career politicians know that if you want to be in office, you are going to have to uphold some values. If you want to be in office, you are going to be held accountable and we're not going to vote for you just for pandering to um pandering to uh to ideas in in a speech you're going to have to show in your record and in your voting choices and your and your um in your time in office that you put programs together that help people that you start to move in a way that moves the needle, you know, toward, toward toward equality and toward equity amongst marginalized groups. Um, but we have an opportunity to do that. Um, like voting is important, but also you vote with your with your clicks and your your dollars and you you vote with your consumerism and your your the things that you pay attention to in the media and whether we 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 have a vote in how we gather our information um you know and like having these conversations amongst each other you know and amongst friends and like-minded people is important but having these conversations amongst people who are who are not aware who are not paying attention um and unsure about where their place is the conversation matters and like i'm so grateful to be here guys where we can have these conversations now that's real and just to kind of you know touch on some facts and some data points um i looked up on aljazeera.com um, they had an article today kind of going into you know detail what you know some of the talking points or some of the, the questions people ask so like you know uh in june 2020 Am amnesty international released a report that documented at least 82 cases of torture, ill treatment, 
and extrajudicial execution by SARS between January 2017 and May 2020, right? And when it comes to what triggered the protest, um, it was a video that was going around online that showed SARS officers killing a young man in the southern Delta state. And even though authorities denied the video was real, the guy who filmed it was arrested, right? So it even it, it upset people. It upset people who seen the video. It upset people who knew that this video existed. And so, you know, October 11th is when they disbanded it. But now it's about a commitment to following through and holding those people accountable for their atrocities and the crimes they committed against people. Um, you know, it is something that, you know, we wanted to highlight for those that didn't know. I, I mean, for those that may not be aware, for those that, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, I see it, but what does it really mean, right? Well, we're more than happy to kind of discuss it, even though this is unfortunate, even though this is horrible. We have to, we have to acknowledge our relationship to the world and that we are not alone, right? Like Alcuin said, this is something that's happening here. This is something that's happening all over the world, right? Whether you're living in China, whether you, you know, what the Middle East, wherever you are, there's some form of oppression that is taking place, right? There's some person who is being harmed and there's people that are fighting back. There's people that are trying to come together to make a difference. So, you know, I just wanted to put it out there that, you know, uh, be inclined to be, to get engaged, right? To be aware, you know, like, America holds, the United States holds a very unique position in the world, and we have a level of influence with how we show up on the global stage. And it's important, right, when you are able to validate the experiences and, you know, what is going on to someone else, right? Like, it's not to turn a blind eye, it's to be responsible to our, you know, who we are as people and really you know, highlighting what are the things that are going on all around us without being lost in a vacuum, trapped in our own little silos. Um, it's important to know that we are all in the struggle and we all can fight back, but know what you're fighting for and be aware, right? So, you know, I just want people to, to really understand that uh, when it comes to this, you know, please take your time to understand what's going on and, uh, you know, get informed, get involved. Um, you know, Lacey, any other thoughts about it? Um, yeah, I think as someone who deeply loves Nigerian culture, um, like I love the music, love the people, think for those of us who love Nigerian culture, we can't love the culture and not love the people too, especially when they're suffering. Um, if you, if you be listening to Burner Boy, you know, listening to like these Nigerian Afrobeat artists, you know, um, love Nigerian food, you got Nigerian friends. It's just like, it comes back to Black Lives Matter, you know, like you can't love Black culture, you can't love Black people, you can't love Nigerian culture or Nigerian people without speaking up when um, these things are happening, right? So, yeah, that's, I think that's what I wanted to say about that no i mean i feel it i feel it i mean you know it's one of those things where you know you saying burn a boy and you know it's one of those things where it really you know it hits home because it's like twice as tall just came out recently and you know it's like 
damn, this is where this is where we at. Like, this is one of those things where, yeah, you can't say you love something and you don't understand how the implications impact and the harm that's being caused to people, right? You can't separate the two. We're all full body individuals. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I, yeah, do not ignore the fact that as much as you may appreciate it, you could do something about it. Um, with that, um, I believe we do have a guest. Um, I do want to give space to let the guests, you know, gather themselves and get themselves together. Um, Lacey, would you like to do a, a light introduction to who our guest is for those that are live with us? Yeah, so um, this is my friend, my good friend, Boyce. Um, he is from South Africa. We studied together in college and um, very smart individual, very passionate person. Um, and I, we just wanted to invite him on just to talk to him about his life, his passions, um, his wisdom, his passion projects as well. I know he's also a podcaster. He also recently moved back home to South Africa after working at a financial consulting company in Seattle. Um, yeah, so that's who we're going to have come on to the show tonight. Boy, too. Welcome. Welcome to the Lyrical One Podcast. How you doing? Uh, it's Thank in, you so much for having me. What time is it over there? That's like 7.20 in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. How Bright and early. I'm good. I'm good. I am awake. I am aware. I am present. Yeah. Okay. That's a blessing. That is beautiful. I'm, I'm trying to be present as well. It is as we record. 10 p.m. on the West Coast, 1021 to be exact. So, you know, we are bridging the gap of time zones and time traveling. The sun, sure. wherever you are, what's up? So, um, boy, to what, what's going be. on? Where where are you at right now? Tell let us let us kind of get an idea of context of where you are in the world. Uh, I am currently in Johannesburg, north of Johannesburg in South Africa. Johannesburg is like the capital of South Africa, probably the most populated city of like close to 10 plus million people. Um, uh, Johannesburg was a uh, city established as the city of gold because a lot of people that lived in different parts of South Africa moved here for jobs. Um, but it's like a very differently situated city in the sense of like the haves and the have nots and just how Diversity is when it comes to culture. I mean, South Africa has 11 official languages itself, so you're bound to just come across so many different languages. But it's a, it's a beautiful city because. Yeah, yeah. 11. 11 official languages? How 11 many, official how languages. Many, how many do you speak? About six of them. Six languages. I'm struggling to speak one. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we in the world right now? This is this is some this is some higher vibrations and frequencies right now. So for those that don't know, right, Lyrical Ones Podcast, this is episode 21. We are international with it right now. We are traveling through space and time. And I am realizing that I have to step my game up with Duolingo because there's, <laughs> there's people who are speaking six languages in a place where there's eleven official languages. So my mind is blown right now. So um, are you born and raised in uh, South Africa? Yeah, born and raised. Um, 
grew up in the city of Cape Town, which is a coastal city, and then moved up to Johannesburg. And then my parents would like frequent back and forth, but born and raised here, and then moved to the West Coast uh, for college and stuff. So that was amazing for me. Okay, so I mean, kind of. So, give us a, a kind of a, a as good as you can a brief like idea of what it means for you to come from South Africa and then venture to the United States to be on the West Coast at that, like, what was that transition like for you? Like, what was the biggest changes? And then what were those moments where it was, like, somewhat comforting? If if it was even comforting. Um, okay, let me try and summarize this as, as best as I can. Um, think of it this way. It's almost like being born and raised in a city where you have to grow up pretty fast just based on myself coming back coming from a high school that was like an all boys high school and it was a boarding school as well. So all you see there's like spending time with your friends during the week that you get to go home um, three days a week on weekends. So your sense of independence is built upon that. Your sense of brotherhood or understanding of the world at large is within a given context. So for that sense, um, when it became time for me to consider going to college, it didn't make much sense for me to stay in Johannesburg just based on the effect that if you grew up in a city, you feel like you know the ins and outs and you're looking for a different setting or a different context to apply sort of like your understanding or seeing if you could fit in in that sense. Um, came across the opportunity to go to Spokane, Washington, a place that I had never been in my entire life. But it was just based on um, based on the context that I met a guy who went to school, went to school in Spokane um, he was the track captain. They sent like um, a couple of athletes from different colleges in America to South Africa for my senior year of high school. Um, I was also on the track team. We connected probably like a year after we had met. I got back in touch with him because I was starting to look for colleges and stuff like that. And I remember that the academic year in South Africa is very different from the academic year in the US in the sense that we go from February till November while you guys go from like, let's say September till May. And that's um, so met him, kept in touch with him a year later, contacted him, even though I had like opportunities to go to college in South Africa, but decided to pursue something different. And I was fortunate enough to have parents that were supportive of that. So that's sort of like the beginning stage of like, okay, here am I taking a leap and not necessarily having any know-how or let alone image of what Spokane, Washington looks like, which could be very scary for like a 17, 18 year old moving there. And here's what makes it worse for my parents. Um, obviously, as you travel internationally, you have to have like a different SIM card or just a different means of communication to keep in touch with them. So from me flying from South Africa to Dubai, which is like eight hours, and then Dubai to Seattle for another 14, my parents had no idea where I was for those like two days of travel. So yeah, that was that was crazy for them. So just like not knowing where their kid was for like, like maybe a good two to three days of travel. And then um, I had to send them an email once I got to school, just to be like, hey, I'm still alive just by the way, which is kind of crazy. But then like a couple of days later, got a SIM card and then I was able to communicate with them, which is what I use with most of my South African friends, which is either iMessage or WhatsApp. Um, and then arriving there was probably the biggest 
change for me in the sense that obviously my given context of American culture and American society is just based off what I would see in movies or music or all that given or all the stuff. But what made it easier for me to transition was probably me being part of a sporting team because it made it much more easier for me to sort of like pick up friends, um, get a better understanding of the city itself or the school and how it works academically, how do I balance being a student athlete and um, performing well enough to still continue to participate in sports, but also just have like a life outside of my classes and outside of like the people that I know within my sporting context. And then from there on out, there were so many different things that happened. So I want to give you a chance to digest a bit of that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you kind of, I mean, just the whole concept of having to travel for two days and being in kind of a, like, you're you're kind of left without a means to communicate to the people you love. And then in turn, they're unable to communicate with you. Like, and also, you know, to talk about being independent, right? To having that sense of independence, but now venturing into a whole nother place in the world, I can only imagine kind of like, the constant levels of discovery, you're finding things, understanding mm-hmm. things, how you're relating to things and, and trying to navigate these multiple layers of identity coming from South Africa, going into the US, you know, whether it's the, you know, you brought up brother, brotherhood and like the idea of like kind of having that, that group, that community, right? Like having that support system of mm-hmm. you know, that the, the social network, right? To now, the social network is kind of rooted off of sports, right? Which is the universal language, right? Like you don't necessarily need to, you know, have the same language, let alone if you know the basic rules of a game, you can get involved in play, right? And from there, Mm -hmm. a relationship or a bond can be created. So on one end, that's amazing in itself that, you know, kind of that universal language of sports is is involved in this story right for you and your life but also on the other end of it is the idea of like are do you have siblings like are you you know an only child do you have older siblings younger siblings i have an older sister and then i have she i have a niece and nephew as well that are like super young so to even add more on to it you the baby of the situation <laughs> yeah, yeah. more crazy because they're like where is my baby right because you you know yeah a lot falls on you right just being a male from the household but also being the youngest from the household and now it's like oh he's leaving he's going somewhere else but more interestingly before you came to the united states what was your like what was your kind of awareness of what the united states was like what what was it to you what were the representations of like these are the american touch points for me probably like the nba the nfl hip-hop in that sense just understanding that culture and how it transcends the u.s itself because obviously you could come to South Africa and see somebody walking around with a Kobe or MJ or LeBron jersey, and you're just like, they probably wouldn't watch the, like the NBA like that. But it's yeah. a cultural norm that spreads across the world because it's so contagious, just based on the mere fact that at, at that point in time, and probably still now, everybody looked towards the US for sort of like cultural relevance and a shift in trends or what's sort of like popping in that sense. So for me, it was a matter of like trying to figure out 
where would I fit in with that need? But also, is it what it's portrayed to be in that thing? Because let's say like my arrival in Seattle was very different to my arrival in Spokane in the sense of like the demographic in that sense. Because obviously when you see on like music videos or whether you see it in movies, you tend to think that there are more people of color in the whole of America compared to like when you actually get there. So for me, that was just like, what the hell is going on here? So that for me was like the biggest wake up call. I was just like, man, this is crazy. Good. That's I, not I Spokane at all. Right. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nah. like, I feel I'm right now. Not even Seattle. Nah. Yeah. Not even, not even right. This because Spokane is east and it's like a a smaller city than Seattle. And you get to Seattle and yeah. it's like it's no, it's no, it's no different. <laughs> not really. Seattle's probably more segregated than, than Spokane is. So what was it like going to school? What was it like um, going to university out there with Lacey um, um, in Washington? I'd say for me, like, that was like a big wake-up call in terms of, like, not only differences demographically, but socially and culturally as well, in the sense that there's a lot of ignorant people out there. And I did not know that. But just based on yeah. the sense that like they have no given context of sort of like where countries are, um, how developed some countries maybe, let alone do they sort of like understand that I probably know just as much, if not more, about the world or the, the given context as you do. But there's a certain image that has been perpetuated, obviously, about like different African countries that plays into the minds of not only like the kids that go there, but like also some of the professors. And you see that in how they communicate, let alone how they sort of like pretend to understand where you're coming from. So I came like a lot of ignorance initially. And for me, it was like a matter of like, it was it was a almost like a tale of like, almost like a sense of like double consciousness in the sense of like, I came and come from a country where I'm in the majority. So my sense of identity or background, let alone my context in my society is not necessarily questioned or, I don't know, or sort of like poked and prodded in, in that sense. But as soon as I got there, it was, it was a shift for me in the sense that like I found myself as a minority and the only sort of like context that I had for being a, a black person in America was like sort of like seeing black people in positions of service only and not necessarily positions of like power or influence in that sense, especially um, coming from the school that we went to. And just seeing that for me, it doesn't matter like, okay, like take time to understand context before you sort of try and make it applicable to sort of like making your background applicable to where you are and what you what what sort of like you cannot make it like the I don't know the catch-up sense. So for me it required for me to sort of like take a step back and better understand where I'm at and why I'm here because 
my parents always like, and I'm sure so many other people's parents say this, that like, when you go into to a situation, know why you're there. Because if you lose that context of like why you're there, it's very easy for you to get lost there and sort of like the niceties of sort of like being in a foreign country and for the people there treating you nice, but you don't necessarily know their agenda behind why they treat you like that. And that's one thing I had to deal with like more often than not. Right. Like that 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 veering toward comfort can disarm you. Mm-hmm. You know, disarm disarm you from your purpose, and a lot of times people's intentions to make you feel incom- uncomfortable is actually their intention. It could be actually to disarm you, you know, for their for their own agenda. Um, and then, like as a minority, like in that awareness of like, like really kind of seeing people and how they operate, observing people and how they operate. Um, how did it shape your your path and your purpose now and the choices you made as far as what's important to you today? I think for me, my biggest turning point was probably um, I spent like a semester abroad, being abroad. I went to, to Belgium for a semester and while I was there, um, I didn't necessarily have to participate or take uh, track seriously. So for me, that was like my, for the first time in my, it, what felt like in my entire life, a chance for me to sort of like take a break, actually have a social life and not necessarily feel the consequences of like going out on consecutive nights or whatever. So after being in that given context, but also like just being in Europe and um, knowing that there are people that I went to high school with then like just, I don't know, having time with them, it made it very difficult for me to want to come back because it meant restarting the, what I had at the time, the struggle of trying to integrate into a culture that wasn't necessarily completely accepting of me and would always challenge me to sort of like make sure I know who I am, even though at the time I think I thought I did. And that resulted in, in me making the decision of like, okay, once I'm done with the semester in Europe, there was already so much happening um, in Europe at that time in the sense of um, that was a time when there were those shootings in Paris um, and then there was like those bomb scares in uh, Brussels, Belgium as well. And I happened to be in like both cities on like when those things were happening. So it's like my parents are like trying to communicate with me like, dude, there's a lot happening in your life right now think about what you think would be purposeful for you to sort of like continue what you're doing. Do you want to go back to school or do you want to come back home and sort of like recenter yourself? And I, I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but it was probably the best decision that I've made probably since then. Um, I decided to go back home for like a good year. And for me, it was like about figuring out who am I besides being my parents' son? Who am I besides being my sister's little brother and in the given context that I thought I wanted to pursue like my my whole idea the whole time was like I'm gonna go to school become a political science uh, and history double major and then go to law school but then after working at a law firm for like a semester I was just like I do not want to do this it is not my dream it's my parents dream at this point 
because I would sit there, do all the paperwork or draft some something. And I was just like, I didn't realize that I actually appreciated like interacting with people so much, which was like kind of weird for me because I consider myself to be like super introverted. And for that year, I went through the struggles of like figuring out my given or given identity or purpose being detached from uh, a given society that I had grown accustomed to. So it was like a, a real struggle for me to like try and figure out like when I'm with my friends, who do I want to show up as? I walk into a room, who do I want to present myself as? Because I wanted to establish some sort of like consistency in sort of like what I say and what I do, because I felt like there'd been a disconnect just being away from home for so long and just being around so many different cultures and societies for so long. And that sort of like shaped who I am right now in terms of there's no, the, the same person that you're talking to now is the same person who will talk to sort of like a helper or a gardener or a CEO, but like I have established sort of like that consistency in my communication and my perspective on like, this is what you see, what you get essentially. No, oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, that is, um, you're touching on a lot of different things and it's it's important for, you know, people to understand what one, what it means to be in, like to live through crisis, right? Like at mm -hmm. various points you are met with crisis, right? And, you know, whether it's you being abroad in Europe and having to sit in these different locations in these countries and be kind of confronted with danger in a different degree, right? Like we all have a level mm -hmm. of danger and fear, but when it's immediate and it becomes like something that's widespread, people don't understand because they're removed from it whereas for you it's like you're right there in the middle of it right so you know first mm -hmm. off it's a blessing that you know nothing happened to you that you were able to you know for the most part come away from those situations to be able to you know share that perspective with us but on the other end it's also to say that like you know touching on the the concept of identity and who you know who one person is who am i right and what am I doing that is going to fulfill myself, right? What is going to be fulfilling mm -hmm. to me as I continue to develop and travel in this world? And so for those that are getting the audio only version of this, when he had brought up being a lawyer, almost all of us started to smile because it touches on a lot of what we, we talk about when the camera's off, when we're not recording, right? Which is who are we as individuals, right? What's our identity? And how do we encourage each other to discover that, right? Because whether we want to, you know, embrace it or accept it, life is a bunch of discovery. It's constant discovery, right? Every day holds something new if you choose to see it, right? You have a choice and you can decide how you perceive the world, right? That's how you create your truth. You create your reality. Now, of course, facts will remain, right? You being in in France and being there around the time of an attack, those things exist beyond you, but then mm -hmm. they're reflected back in you as you process, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go from this? Like from here, right? And so you're like, oh, you know what? I think it might be cool for me to spend a year back home to get, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like you went to get a, a level of grounding, right? To get back rooted to where you come from, right? Because it's like, for sure. Here you are lying here you are witnessing experiencing 
going from, you know, like when you talked about um, being in home, which is being of the majority, right? Like I'm not a minority. I I'm I'm one of many, and we are here, right? There's a mm-hmm. level of power in that that a lot of people don't even understand, right? Because yeah. you came to the United States with a, a belief that, oh, well, based off of what I've been told, I should be able to see someone who looks like me and they could be a peer, right? Or they could be seen as my equal. But in reality, the way that society is set up is, wait, this is, the, I don't see enough of me. And then when I do see me, I see people who are serving or in a position where they're treated different than the rest of society or in, of a different class mm-hmm. of society, right? And so like, to me, like, I'll be honest, like my whole concept of like South Africa was small and meek as I developed as a person, like elementary school, all I ever knew was Nelson Mandela and I had a picture of him on my wall, right? Like that's all I knew, right? You would mm-hmm. hear about it, but you didn't really understand the scope. Wasn't until I was in middle school, my teacher, was is from South Africa and you know he was a white South African and I'm like how are you white and you you say you South African <laughs> yeah I was yeah. like what does that even mean right and as you start to explore and understand you know what that means in a larger context of history then you're like oh I get it right and so in high school I remember we learned about Stephen Biku, right? And so we mm-hmm. really dug in depth about apartheid and what that means and how recent it was. And like, that was the part that was hard to rationalize in high school was that this was something that just happened. This wasn't something that was removed by a generation, right? This was something that happened within my lifetime and that I'm trying to confront with my own identity being so far removed from whatever my identity is when it comes to Africa. So it's like, I'm grasping at, at threads of anything that seems familiar mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, I went to a high school where we had, you know, a, a police riot, right? That was my first real in the face moment of like power and authority and the juxtaposition between my identity versus what is kind of society's majority identity. And then mm-hmm. I'm learning about apartheid and I'm like, this to me is my struggle. This to me is my moment. But I, I, to me, relate in so many different ways. But again, limited in scope. Whereas on your end, it's like, you know what? I'm finna, I'm finna leave home. I'm finna go across. <laughs> I'm gonna see what's up. Now I yeah. see what's up. I'm like, oh, okay. Y'all was lying. This y'all, this is all a fallacy. It's a fairy tale. Let me go somewhere else, right? Let me go to Brussels. Let me go to. Let me go to to Paris. Let me go to these other places and experience life. Oh, it's crazy. Let me go back home and let me get grounded and rooted in me kind of getting, you know, familiar with who I am away from what's been given to me, right? I was given a role as a son. I was given the role of a brother. I was given the role of a student. Now, as I become a man, who am I? What gives me fulfillment? What brings me joy? So in that, what now brings you fulfillment and joy as you say you like to interact with people and you like to you know have that kind of face time with people what now is bringing you joy um i'd say right now it's probably because right now i'm i'm professionally i'm considered like a design thinking consultant and that's mostly focused on designing products or changing culture within companies or, or corporate institutions. 
based on the fact that they're inclusive, they're diverse, and they create space for people to actually be present with a purpose in their sort of like given workspace. And they basically take you through sort of like five different stages. But the first stage, and for, for me, the probably the most important stage is being able to empathize and understanding that and understanding how important EQ is in any given context, whether it's professionally or societally, like that helps me better understand people and better communicate with people. And for me, that that's what sort of like gives me that energy to want to do more because there's so many people out there who are so much more creative that, than they think, so much more talented than they think. But obviously we go through the ebbs and flows of life and society where we're sort of like told to dumb down certain aspects of our life because they won't necessarily pay the bills or they're not going to get you from point A to point B. Up until the point that you make it, then they try and remind you. Remind, remember, remember that time when I supported your dream and you're just like, bro, really? But it, you know, it, it happens to be like that. And, and um, just sort of like my, my, my understanding is just based off of like, just seeing how my parents supported me when I told them that I don't want to go to law school and I wanted to get more involved in things that revolve around business. And they were just like, Dude, at the end of the day, you're going to have to live with this decision. So we might as well support you rather than like tell you that you need to stay the course because it's one that's going to leave you better off financially in that sense. So for me, I was just like, that sense of relief that comes with that kind of support is something that could easily change somebody's trajectory and what they want to pursue in life in general. So when you say EQ, was that a empathy quotient, what you were referring to? Yeah, just emotional intelligence, yeah. Emotional intelligence, okay, okay. Lacey, take it away. So I'm I'm homies with Boy 2, so I've known him for a minute. We've been in the same spaces. I actually have traveled to South Africa, and Boy 2 put me on to some spots, which is really dope. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I just wanted to ask Boy 2, like, you are someone who's so good at connecting with people who are different than you. Like, if, if people who are listening know Boy 2 for Boy 2, he got homies from all different places, all, all different area codes, like, and um, I just wanted to ask, like, how, like, what is your approach to that? How do you connect with people who are so different from you? How, uh, is that something you had to learn? Because I know from personal experience, South African culture is so different from, you mm -hmm. know, the white Spokane culture that we were in for four years yeah i'd say for me what made it much more easier for me to connect with other people is like intentionally working on my ego and the ego has like many faces um in my opinion um it's like a quick example of like how uh anybody could work on their egos in the sense of like how when you enter an Uber, you're quick to sort of like keep quiet and not interact with the Uber driver, even though they may attempt to, just based on the sense that they have to take you from point A to point B. But as soon as you walk into a room and you sort of like have an executive or somebody in front of you, then you want to be vocal about like your intentions and how you interact with them. 
but there's also like a, a level of respect that comes with both aspects. Like just realizing how you want to be unbothered in one space just based on the context, but you want to be proactive in another is one thing that, that makes me realize how knowing how to communicate in any given circle or context is sort of like key and being able to maintain those relationships because I feel like over time we've, a lot of people have lost the ability to not only communicate across, but also to communicate through sort of like struggles or challenges or differences that they may have. And a lot of people in general just listen to respond instead of like listen to understand. And more than anything, if you give somebody the platform to speak about themselves, they will tell you everything you need to know. And so for you, that, that's also like gives you the opportunity to make the decision that would you want to continue to be in the same space as this person? Well, some people in a given context, or is this somebody that you would want to communicate with on a long-term basis by just checking in, just being like, hey, how are you doing? Just checking in, like how's, how are things going on this end? And more often than not, people tend to appreciate that. And they recognize that as sort of like a sense of like, man, like there's a sense of like empathy and understanding that comes to this person checking in rather than people who expect you to text them every single day, knowing very well that we have bills to pay at the end of the day. So, yeah. So I'm hearing you say like, there's a level of like authenticity that comes with the way you build relationships that you value, right? Because I think, I think like, I really like how you're talking about like, you know, the Uber driver deserves the same attention, your attention as the, the executive. And I think mm-hmm. when, we, when we notice the humanity and the almost like the importance of affirming the humanity and other people, regardless of their position, that's where true relationships. Yeah. And I will definitely say like as boy tooth friend, he definitely does that um, in his own relationships. And for me, as someone who struggled to connect with people who were very different from me at Whitworth, it, it, I always admired Boy too and his ability to connect with people from like all different backgrounds. And, and I think with Boy too, like when you talk to him, he leaves an impression um, that like he actually cares. Um, and Boy too, where do you think like that comes from for you? Do you feel like that's a part of like, being South African, or do you feel like that's just like a familial thing? Do you feel like that's something you have to develop over time? I I think it's a bit of both in the sense of like it's something that I learned as a family value, but I think it's also something that you learn when you lose a lot in general. Um, just being able to to understand what loss looks like and how it manifests in different people's lives. Um, For some people, it may result in anger or despair or negativity, but for some people, it may sort of like instill a sense of hope just based on wanting to touch other people's lives and wanting to make a difference even in the most subtle of ways. And just sort of like seeing that in my own family dynamic in the sense of um, my mom is more of like the quiet person, but like um, my dad is more of like the outspoken person. So I've seen like the ebbs and flows of like how 
caring for somebody looks like when you're on either side of the spectrum and how there's sort of like a middle ground that you can reach in terms of being able to care for somebody, but also being able to set your own boundaries for your own sense of self-care in that sense, which is what a lot of people forget. No, that's real. That's real. Like, I mean, I appreciate it because it, uh, it's not that we intended to have so many people come on to talk about um, inclusiveness, diversity, equity, um, empathy, right? Like, it's it's kind of synchronicitous that we have Boitu on here, that Boitu is, you know, friends with Lacey. And, you know, we wanted to get a perspective from someone that doesn't come from the United States, right? Who's been able to see it from a distance and have a relationship that is very different than a lot of our guests and a lot of the people that come on to our podcast. So one, I appreciate you taking this time and, and kind of giving us so much. But on the other end of it, it's just to me so crazy that you bring up that you're in the conversation when it comes to empathy, when it comes to understanding, to conceptualize and have the the, the realization that we all experience loss in different ways, in different forms. Um, when you say that it's a family value, right? Like, what were kind of some of the ways that it showed up for you growing up that made you really reflect on, like, or or even if you haven't had the time to really reflect on it, but what are some things that you just think of off the top of your head where it was like, I have to kind of step outside of myself to see it from another person's perspective? I'd say from my side, I think maybe this probably applies to so many different people in the sense of like how you grew up may be very different from how your cousin grew up when it comes to the resources or access that you may have available to you. And that's one thing that was very telling for me personally from a very young age in the sense of like professionally, my parents were doing well. And that's also based on the fact that they also had like certain access to resources and people that made it much more easy for them to get to that point. But um, for some of my cousins, it was very different. And that either ended up dividing us or it aligned us in a sense of we want to work towards the same purpose, even though we may be taking different paths in that sense. So for my parents helping me understand that just because you have one thing that they don't have, that doesn't mean they cannot add to the situation in their own particular kind of way. So being able to, I mean, in, in that sense, it's a, it's a way that teaches you how to be humble or humility in any given context and not just basing your relationships on transactions, if that makes sense. Definitely. You're speaking to my soul right now. <laughs> you just talked about my whole, my whole relationships with my cousins right now because um, it is very, like people, people don't even think about it when it comes to the idea of understanding that even though we're a part of the same family tree, mm -hmm. some parts of the tree are a little closer to the sun than others. Yeah. And the thing is, is that sometimes because of that, it can create levels of resentment on both sides of the tree. And we have to be very careful about our level of understanding of how, how do we pass along some of that sun in a sustainable and a responsible way, right? Because it is a thing where it's like, 
you know, we have to be mindful of nepotism, right? We have to be mindful of favoritism and all these different things. But at the same scope, it's also, are you patient enough within yourself to be able to, to explore why do we have the relationship that we have now, right? Why are we kind of both going in the same direction on two different roads, right? And what is it that we can do to make it so that at least, at the very least, I see you, right? Because sometimes we lose sight of the fact that like you are traveling in that direction because I don't see you on the side of me, right? In the immediate sense, right? I don't see you doing the same things I'm doing. So then it causes me to have a disruption in how I relate to you, right? Because I, I mean, what you just said is literally what I went through in the past three weeks, right? Where I'm dealing with a cousin and we we both had to dig deep within ourselves and our family history and, and really reveal these are the truths that we were given, right? We weren't, we didn't have a choice, right? We yeah. had to accept it and process it. But now I have to accept you for who you are in this moment so we can progress together, right? Because he he was in his mind saying all these things and he thought my response was going to be uh, abrasive or harsh, right? Or I was going to be um, the antagonist. But at the end of it, I was like, you're 100% right. And it, he was like, you know, I really thought this was going to go a lot different. I thought you were <laughs> yeah. willing. And I'm like, no, like, I have to accept and validate and see you for where you are right now. I can't. I have to accept that I can't change anything about it. I have to embrace it. If I really want to grow mm-hmm. with you and I want to move with you, I have to see this is the truth. And I have to embrace where you are. Right. I can't I can't do anything if I want to change it. Right. Do what? Can I do it in a sustainable manner? Can I do it in a way that doesn't create an unhealthy dependency? Can I do it in a way that's going to say I respect you and your decisions? Because at the end of the day, this person is making decisions and choices, right? I don't have to like it, but I have to accept that this is the reality, right? And I think people don't often think about that, especially like kind of thinking of now in this today society where we become very siloed and vacuumed in our own beliefs and our own kind of ways of thinking. And we kind of lose sight of our family, right? Or what our community mm-hmm. looks like. And how do we come back to, right? Not making it transactional. Like, I did this for you. Why don't you do it for me? Yeah. Right? Sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes I do it because I can. And you can't do it because sometimes you don't even see it. Right? And mm-hmm. if I don't communicate clearly and I don't actually tell you, oh, this is actually an expectation for me, then I have to decide how much of that do I want to hold against you? Right? Because that's another level, right? Yeah. It's not about holding it against somebody. Sometimes it's about accepting the fact that that's not their role. They're not capable of doing it, right? Just because you are doesn't mean that they are. Just because yeah. you see them every day doesn't mean they see the world the same way you see it every day. And I think that's sometimes the biggest thing. So when you're saying all these things, you're only magnifying and highlighting from the other side of the world. It's the same. <laughs> like, the exact same yeah same things right where we have to we have to navigate our relationships and be mindful that yeah like if i want to do good or if i want to do something that's healthy or not harmful i have to reflect in myself and then say okay how do i make sure i'm most authentic and most true and honest to that without imposing on someone else without infringing Mm -hmm. on someone else without invoking something that might be harmful or or hurtful right so you know i you pretty much said it best in how like in all words 
for you to speak six languages, you speak in the most poetic ways. Like your con, like your your cadence and your poise is like, man, like you should be doing audiobooks because it is such a <laughs> for real. Like it's so engaging and it's uplifting, right? Because it's it's spoken in such a way where it it's holding space and respect, right? A sense of honor and a sense of of almost like timeliness, right? Like where it's timeless, but the pacing of it is so like impactful where it can land. So one, thank you for just being you. But on the other end, thank you for making me realize I'm not crazy in my own, you know, kind of- You're not. <laughs> vacuum and hurricane. Cause it's like, we do lose sight that there is a world that has cousins. And this is for mm-hmm. all the family members, all the friends, all the community members. Like, you know, we're just, in this space, right, we're trying to reduce the harm and we're just trying to uplift and support people along the way, right? And so, again, empathy really comes from that core fundamental of, you know, I mean, I would like you to talk about that. Like, when was the moment when you realized you had to put your ego outside, right? Like, ego, like, it's the difference between being confident and then using your ego. Like, when was that moment of realization for you to be like, you know what, I don't, I don't think the ego is needed right now. Um, probably that year that I spent at home, like after deciding not to go back to school, a lot of, a lot of, I lost my sense of how I identified myself because if your entire life you've been told that things are going to go a particular kind of way and you decide to do the alternative, a lot changes in terms of like how you perceive your place in the world in that sense. And that sense of struggle that comes with, what the hell am I gonna do now? Like, I'm, I'm going against what I've always known. And now there's a sense of accountability that has to come with you taking responsibility of your own actions and how you get, and the consequences of those actions or the outcomes of those actions. And, for me that year, that was like life-changing in the sense that I got to see my friends in their own given context. I came to South Africa because obviously we were in college. And just seeing how they operated and how they did things, it required for me to take a step back and be like, what do I consider to be my strengths and weaknesses? And how can I apply that to my own life, even though I may not necessarily have a framework for it. In the sense of, I was able to realize that like interaction is important, um, context and insight is important for me. Um, being able to provide some form of commentary and next steps is also important for me. So I didn't necessarily think that that would manifest into me wanting to pursue a career in business. But that's sort of like my struggle with my ego required for me to be able to sort of like lose what had gotten me to that point in order to build for what would take me forward in that sense. So for me, it was just like, man, I'm going to be seen like I'm a loser or I don't know what I want for myself. And I was just like to my parents, well, I'm not going back to school until I figure this out. And then they were just like, 
we're giving you a year, dude. That's all you've got. And within that year, it's just like, there was like a solid month where I just felt stuck. And what it took for, for me to get out of that month was somebody just to say that whenever you feel stuck, get creative. And I was just like, wait, what, what, what does that mean? And it's just like, it, 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 that's what it took for me to get out of my comfort zone of like, this is my established identity, but now I have the opportunity to become who I think myself to be. And for a lot of people, you don't have that just based on the people that may depend on you, the people that you may have to provide for, or the resources that you even have available to you. So for me, I understood that like, I'm in a privileged position to be able to reestablish myself and then take steps forward. But for me, it was also like a, a, a time of unlearning and relearning who I want to be moving forward. Oh, that is important. Yeah. Boy, too. It's like it's it's so important that you you mention that that little space of privilege, right? That time, mm-hmm. because in survival mode, it's really hard to listen to self, right? To the authentic self, right? Because you're busy being whatever you need to be to survive, and mm-hmm. it's all an external res- response to your environment and when you have that time to step away from the environment and go into self right gives you the opportunity to then listen to self in preparation to listen to others right it's like the empathy can't be there if you don't know how to listen to yourself and empathize with yourself like know where your own heart is where your own spirit is Mm -hmm. to then listen for other people instead of just as a being ready to respond or rebut them Right. It's like if I'm going to support my community, then I need to be able to know what's happening in in that community, whether it's 20 people or just three people. I need to be able to listen to them and their needs. So so that I can then decide on my choose my role based on who I know myself to be. But if I don't know who I am first, then I, I can't step into that role. At, at all. And um, it's so important that you, you know, that you're in a space of being a creative and, you know, someone advised you on that because then you get to see what that voice is, you know, who that voice is, what identities are prevalent, right, in your, mm-hmm. in your identity. And, um, and then from there, grasping on to what resonates you with your spirit the most, you know, because you can be creative and be speaking someone else's in someone else's voice. <laughs> you can That's be creative, true. right, and and following someone else's model. Um, mm-hmm. And the more time you spend regurgitating someone else's, you know, perspective or thought or style, um, it can sometimes push you away from your authentic self. And I think you know having having a year you know, or like a deadline, you know, then says, you know, gives you a sense of urgency, right? For sure. You know, and then from, from that urgency, from that development, um, and what did you, what did you, what would you say you learned about yourself in that time where you began to be creative? Um, 
and, you know, learning that, you know, the ego needs to move out the way and that, you know, empathy was important to you that, you know, you know, dissolve, dissolving conflict, um, de-escalation, you know, um, you know, listening to people like, um, managing your own emotions and interaction with people, managing your own stress and interaction with people. Um, how did those things then come from your creative process? I think the established norm or understanding at the time for me was more of like, in order to be creative, you have to be with, within some form of art, but I didn't even understand how broad art is in that given sense. People don't understand that being on a podcast requires you to pull from something beyond a script or topics that you may have for that particular day you, because you have to provide commentary you have to be able to balance that with your own insights but then also understand who you're speaking to so your audience also has to be able to understand that when you're writing poetry it's not just about writing about sort of like um or like writing in rhythms of what you've been taught but being able to establish your own rhythm within that poem essentially or writing a book or taking pictures but there's always like a sense of individuality that we all have from when we're kids but we 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 lose that over time just based on the mere fact that if you want to fit into society then these are the boxes that you have to tick in order for you to have a sustainable life. So we all lose that sense of creativity that we used to have as children, like being able to draw something and like somebody puts it up on the fridge and even though it's kind of crappy, but they still encourage you to do it even more, but you don't know what that does for a kid in, the, in any given context. So just like understanding that, that creativity is not necessary linear for me i was just like it, the world almost just like opened up for me because i was just like i don't have to be a particular kind of way to be considered a creative in that sense and that's that's one thing a lot of people don't hear whether it's people who are in graphic design whether it's people who are uh who who are graffiti artists or people who are b-boys there's so many different forms that we 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 don't speak of in not just black and poc communities but just like in general that we're told like this could be your sustenance in life and this could be what gets you from where you are right now to where you eventually want to be and so i guess it, it's also entangled with like a sense of fear and uncertainty that comes with like pursuing that at the same time but that but that that fear is just based on right like culture though right it's like yeah 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 right the 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 fear is like the is comes from the culture of acquiring what's on the outside and that the the in the inside the internal is is inferior or less than in some way right and mm -hmm. that 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 drawing that goes on the refrigerator right is validating the internal right because that drawing is right is a is a reflection or an interpretation of what the heart is receiving from the world they're in 
right? And yeah. so that that drawing is is an expression. It's art, but it's also right self, right? It's it's the the reflection of the world through through self, right? It's like when this light comes into me, it bends back into this drawing, and then it mm-hmm. goes on the the drawing goes on the refrigerator, right? And then there's this validation of what's on the inside of me, right? Is is of importance, right? It's it's worth being seen, right? It's worth in it's it's worth existing in the external for other people to see, right? Mm-hmm. And and that that I think that journey, you know, uh, allows us then to say, oh, I just heard Boy Two's. This is what I this is what I heard. Boy Two's got a uh, got a podcast. I heard Boy Two is got some got some bars, some some poetry somewhere that he. That's what this is what I this is what I heard that he he has. You got some stuff prepared. Is what I is what <laughs> I want to know. Boy Two, what's the name of the podcast? Come on, man. We. We we already fast fans here, so now you've made us fans, uh, so now you gotta you gotta plug, cause you gotta because you just now said okay you, your art is not linear, it's it's around, and so where's the where's the trail, where's the breadcrumbs that we need to follow to get to it? Um, well, the name of the podcast is called uh, Start of Unknown, Finish Unforgettable, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And funny enough, that all started as as a joke, actually, because I was just yes. sitting with some friends and I was just like, man, like there, there's so many things that we could possibly share and that people need to hear about and people could engage in conversation over that why not start a podcast? And that changed from being able to talk about like um, societal issues to political issues to problems or manifestations that happen with the self and just being able to to voice that because more often than not i don't know i feel like a lot of people tend to die with their songs still in them more often than not and so being yeah. able to give them a a platform that that changes that changes a lot nice yeah you're so right and i think um we we all have to practice, right? Tuning into each other's song, but also, you know, creating those spaces for people to to voice those songs. It's like, you know, what is what is the frequency of your your heart today, tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, next week, um, and you know, and then tuning into that, um, because again, right? It's, if if we can get someone to speak their mind, speak their voice, speak their hearts, their spirit more often, right? Then then not they have a better identity of who they are and how how they want to show up for others versus what these messages, right? It's like coming into coming into a, a country, right? And you say this is the role of the black person in America. Mm-hmm. Right. These are these are these are the spaces that black people are accepted to occupy. Right. And then you say, well, those are not none of those are me. None of those are, you know, those that's not where none of those are where I want to be. But I also don't know yet, you know, where I want to be. And so as I then travel and see 
black people exist in other spaces around the world and how the world then responds to black people when it's under stress when it's overwhelmed the world responds to black people in a different way than when everything is chill mm-hmm. right when everything is calm they people respond to black people in in communal spaces one way and then when everything is at a high pitch and high alert people responded to black people or people of color in an in another way and Either I'm going to be pushed into those boxes every time someone decides they want me somewhere else, or I'm going to choose my parameters and how I want it in the space that I want to exist and define it as my space, not the space for Black people, but the space for me. For sure. And for me personally, that that changed. There was a year in college when um, she's a writer, she's a speaker, and she's done so many other things. Her name is Austin Channing Brown. And she came to our school and she spoke about sort of like the double consciousness that exists in predominantly white Christian schools and the struggle that black and people of color may endure within those spaces. And obviously for them, it's just like, they think they know what that's like which makes it also very easy for them to invalidate other people's experiences just based on, I have a black friend, he seems to be fine. But it's just like, there's this, this such a, a wide spectrum. We, when it we ain't fine. People. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, a, we ain't fine. There's such a wide spectrum when it comes to experiences that you get from people of color and black people in general that you guys don't even know what it's like to even scratch the surface of like what these voices could do for this community in that sense. Because I remember like at the end, she had like a Q and A and she was just, people were just like asking basic ass question if I'm being honest, what can we do? What things do we need to implement? Um, um, leave us with some guiding words. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, Nobody is actually asking any insightful questions that will lead people to questioning their own established norms or their own established perceptions of, this is what I thought the Black and POC experience was like, but then I was completely wrong. And so people are like asking all these questions and I'm just like looking around and I was like sitting like right in front, like just before people who were like sitting on the floor. And then I like raised my hand for the longest time and then she was just like, for some strange reason, she was just like, I'm going to let you talk, like, right at the end. Right, because <laughs> like, it wasn't even about you asking a question. She was exactly. like, because <laughs> I'm too tired to, to do this, so can you help me lift this? Because this weight today, after all I've been through, after being here and doing all this, please, can you, can you enlighten these people? Exactly. <laughs> Because for her, it was just like, at this point, I've got my check and it doesn't seem to be doing anything for any of these people. So I was just like, I stood up and I was just like, I don't think it's going to help anybody if I ask you a question. So I feel like me telling you about a lived experience of a kid that goes to the school would be much more impactful for the people in this room. So I'm there and there's like, the president of the school was there. So you obviously know like, Everybody's clutching their pearls about what this kid about to say about the school. 
How is he about to paint us in front of our guests? All these other things, these other thoughts, but probably never in their minds do they think that I'm able to tell a story that provides context of the struggles of not having black or POC professors, the struggles of not having um, or, or only having one black person on the board of trustees and how that sort of like um, that implicates or that the consequences of that when it comes to like the curriculum that we have, the food that we eat, the images that we have to process in African-American history classes being taught by white professors. It's just like, <laughs> there's so many different things that they weren't aware of that I had to shed light on, but also at the same time, even after sharing all of that, there were still those voices of, this guy doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. And I'm just like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. And this came from like students and not necessarily professors. So I was just like, there's a, a cycle that, that continues when it comes to not only like a level of ignorance, but a level of, not wanting to admit, not only being in the wrong, but not understanding another person's culture. So that attachment is still there generations like later in that sense. Oh yeah, That's, and it's that, like, that, that, that attachment don't stop. Go ahead, please. Yeah, and it's like they, like they paid this woman to come talk to them and then even when she is literally telling them to listen to the to the actual black and brown students like y'all paying her she's doing what she's being paid to do y'all still don't do it right yeah crazy it's super crazy it's like the it's like literally like we're just we just want you to come and talk this one time to say that we did it because we really <laughs> yeah. don't want to do anything. That's right? exactly what it is. Because mm -hmm. as soon as we hear from the people who we've impacted, we dismiss them, we minimize their stories, yep. we take mm -hmm. away any validation and understanding, we don't accept it, we don't want to actually like hold ourselves accountable to our like what we've done to this person, right? Because it's like, oh no, 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 we just wanted to come hear you talk, right? We didn't actually, we didn't want to do work. We got to do work now. We didn't want to <laughs> exactly. learn nothing. Yeah. Like, no, like me coming here is trying to address the issue, but the issue isn't for me to address. It's for y'all to address with the people who are in the room right now, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as that moment happens, the voila moment, like here we are, let's own it. They're like, uh, man, he tripping. He don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, exactly. Man, that's not us. <laughs> nothing to do with us. He's only been here for like ten years. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> Like exactly, you could have been there for a day. You could have been there for a month. Your experience is your experience, and if mm -hmm. no one wants to own up to it, well, that's the problem with systemic racism, prejudice, oppression, yeah. and power dynamics. Right? The things we're trying to address, it's not going to happen because you get an expert. Right? It's when you take the time to listen to the people being impacted in the room that have to sit mm -hmm. there and live with it. Right? It's easy to roll out a red carpet to someone. And it's not to denounce or dismiss this person and their ability to articulate like this, the different components of how do we dismantle it. But after you do that, you need to listen to the people that are still going to be there, right? It's a, yeah. It goes on both ends. You can't just have one and say, oh, well, we had so-and-so. We had a name. 
And then when it came time to do the work that they actually told us to do, we just dropped the ball and ignored it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like now having all those experiences, what is your vision? What is your plan now that you're back in South Africa? Like, what is what is it that you're going to do? Right. What are the things you you're doing a podcast? You're working and trying to create more inclusive environments. But, uh, you know, what is the vision for you overall? I'll I'll start off with the reason why I came back to South Africa in the first place was it's been like seven to eight years since I was in um, the U.S. And it's just like I had started, I left, and then I went back again with a different sense of identity and understanding of myself. And I had been working professionally to a point to where I thought um, would establish, I, I wanted to establish some form of credibility from a sense of like my professional sense. And for me, I got to that point probably a little earlier this year. And I was just like, would I be able to translate this person that I am professionally into a completely different market? just based on the sense that professionally, my network is based in the state of Washington. And professionally, I I would have to restart here in South Africa in that sense. So understanding that and knowing that we're going through a pandemic, as much as there's so much loss and despair during this time, I see so much opportunity moving forward, just based on the mere fact of like, if you recognize how circumstances are and what they were before, you have the opportunity to change them to what you want them to be just based on, this is almost like pressing restart for a lot of people, not only from an unemployment uh, standpoint, but also from a societal standpoint, because as, as, a, as, a, as a black man or as a black person, so many other people have found their voices. So many other people have become unapologetic about who they are and how they want to be perceived. That for me, if I'm able to do that from a a business sense, show up in every room, show up in every room as who I see myself as in the mirror. And also eventually at some point, it's something that I unfortunately cannot run away from, be involved politically because there's so much work that still needs to be done. There's so much work that needs to be established whether it's making sure that people who come from impoverished communities have the correct resources in order to even have a shot at what a lot of people um, attain, but also recognizing that like as a country or as a global community, there's so many political shifts that need to happen in order for people to have space to voice their opinions, for people to see change within their communities, small or large, let alone for people to see what I do or what we do as attainable, because we tend to forget that this is like a trickle down system in terms of like somebody may be watching you and using your story as context of like, that is what I aspire to be. This is who inspires me just based on you speaking your truth and you being able to connect 
to them just based on what they see as their current circumstances, but then seeing your story is like, I could end up there at one point or another. No, that's, that's, that's beautiful and amazing. I mean, it's, it's, I only, only because we have time constraints, right? I'm mm-hmm. trying my best not to have this conversation go on for another hour. So with that, boy, too, do you have anything else, any way that people can get in contact with you to access you to, you know, get more familiar with you? I mean, we know the podcast, right? Um, Start Unknown, Finish finish Unforgettable. Um, and that's on every streaming uh, service. Start Off Unknown. Yeah, it is. And it yeah, is. it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts. Uh, no, no video content yet, but I should start working on that. I think it's it's just going through the transitions of um, what you're comfortable or confident in, in the sense that like obviously I'm I'm I seem very comfortable in front of you guys. So I mean maybe I should start working on that. So yeah, that's what by, we're here for. By any means. <laughs> um. So yeah, is there any uh, social media that we uh, could check in, get connected with? Oof. For now, it's just going to be my podcast um, and my Instagram, I guess. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to minimize my, my, my social touch points because I, I feel like I've also grown sensitive to uh, everybody and anybody just having access to me. So I try and limit that to certain things. That's why we're that. a mask. That's why we got the mask on, you feel me? So people can't <laughs> have access to me. I'm on yeah. the streets. You don't know who I am. <laughs> So trust me, I feel you when it comes to that. I respect it. Um, Boy 2, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your insight, for sharing your story. Um, We definitely want to have you back on again and, you know, have an incredible day because your day is just starting as ours is ending. And Mm -hmm. um, many blessings and well wishes. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for creating space for me to be here and just to share everything and anything. Uh, yeah, and when things open back up, we about to come to Joburg, man. We about to come, come through. Let me tell you, he knows the spot. <laughs> he knows the spot. We're on our way. See, and I know I'm she's ready, talking about food because that's how we talk about is food. So I already, I already know. <laughs> I already know she's talking about food. I already I got know. You, I got you. I don't know. I don't know. If you meet South Africans, it's not just food over there. You know what I'm saying? It's a good time. But you know, it's a good time. You might not want to leave. Know. Yeah, it'd be like that. It'd be it, every every time, anytime like black folks from America come to come to the homeland, um, to the motherland, whatever country, it feel like you don't want to you feel like you don't want to leave. Um every time I go on vacation, I feel like I don't want to come back here um come back to the states and it's just one of those things like if if all the good people leave you know then what's left you know so it's like it's work it's work to be done so yeah we appreciate you if all the good people go to africa well then we all just in africa but that's a different story for a different day (laughs) (laughs) it is a different story for a different day because we got we got work to do in the mother we got work to do in the motherland um Boysu, thank you very I, much for your time. Um, this is Lyrical One, episode 21. We are out.
Peace out, everybody. Be well. Be good.